This episode of Primitive Culture is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program of the non-profit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. This is Tim Russ, Lieutenant Commander Tuvok on Star Trek Voyager, and you're listening to Trek FM. Open your mind to the past. Oh, this may mean something. It's a primitive culture. I'm just trying to blend in. Some people think the future means the end of history. Well... We haven't run out of history quite yet. Oh, 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 and welcome to a special festive edition of Primitive Culture. I'm Father Christmas, and joining me today is someone who's been very nice all year long. It's Clara Cook. Hello, Clara. Hello, Duncan. Oh, sorry, Santa. <laughs> oh, oh, you've spoiled it. <laughs> Can I start? <laughs> you've spoiled the magic of Christmas, and we're only a few seconds in. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, I haven't been, right. been that no, nice. No, fair enough. I fess up. It's me. It's Duncan Barrett. Um, Clara is joining me. Clara is subbing uh, again for Tony, who uh, was meant to be here. This is actually one of the very first uh, episodes of Primitive Culture we've had planned ever since we started doing this show. But um, Tony was unavoidably uh, otherwise occupied today. So Clara has uh, bravely offered to step in. Um, last time we recorded together, Clara, I, uh, I said you were turning into the Garrick of Primitive Culture. I think Tony's uh, turning into the Jake Sisko of Primitive Culture at this rate, but um, <laughs> hopefully we'll have him back with us uh, soon. But anyway, um, how, how are you this fine festive season? I'm good. I'm good. I've, I've eaten a lot of food. I've, I've gorged myself on Christmas movies. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling very seasonal right now. Very good, very good. Well, that's what we like to hear. Um, and basically what we're going to talk about today is we're going to look at the influence of um, Dickens' A Christmas Carol on Star Trek, in particular in the episode Tapestry from The Next Generation, which I think is uh, is sort of very clearly influenced by that story in terms of the way that it... Um, the story that it tells about Picard. And of course, um, you know, Patrick Stewart, who played Picard, uh, very famously also played Ebenezer Scrooge in a production of A Christmas Carol. Um, I don't know if you've... Have you seen... Tony was telling me his favourite uh, version of Christmas Carol is actually the TV movie version of Patrick Stewart's Christmas Carol, uh, which I've never seen. Have, have you seen that one? No, I've never seen... I've never seen it. Uh, my favourite version of the Christmas um, Carol is The Muppets Christmas Carol. Yeah, so, yeah that's um, a good one. <laughs> but um, I can imagine that Patrick Stewart would be really, really good as Scrooge. Um, you know, he's a very well-trained actor, so I can imagine that he would really relish the part. Yeah, well, I haven't seen that TV version. I have actually seen him because he performed this one-man show of A Christmas Carol going way back. I think he started working on it in around the second season of Next Gen. So I suppose when they were getting into writing tapestry and so on this was definitely something at the back of people's minds was that Patrick Stewart was this kind of Scrooge on stage and I actually saw a production of that um about probably about 11 or 12 years ago now in London um 
and it was fantastic. I mean, it was an amazing performance. Patrick Stewart, I've seen on stage a few times, always, you know, well worth seeing on stage. But one of the things that kind of surprised me about it, particularly in those days, uh, you know, being used to him as Captain Picard and so on, is is you can kind of see he can do Scrooge. He's kind of got that down. Um, you know, that comes pretty easily to him because he's got this quite sort of cool, aloof um, sort of quality. But one of the most amazing things about this one-man show that he did was the humour and the comedy. And, you know, he plays, I don't know, the the silly landlady and the children and, you know, all these other characters. And he's sort of dancing around the stage. And really, it was this kind of virtuoso uh, performance from him where you you got to see, you know, the complete range as an actor in a way. And, you know, a marvellous performance as Scrooge as well. So, um that uh you know definitely was was quite a phenomenon and i'm sure um led in in some ways to this idea of doing this kind of christmas carol type episode um with tapestry yeah he's a very versatile actor isn't he so and in star trek he only really ever plays i mean picard is a complex character but he only really ever plays this man with sort of um one type of outward behavior which is very reserved Mm. Um, so he doesn't, you're right, he doesn't get the chance to do much comedy in the series and he doesn't get the chance to um, behave um, or, or act kind of eccentrically or um, to be a completely different character. So I can imagine him doing that was probably quite like a breath of fresh air. It's probably quite Definitely. exciting for him. I mean, yeah, it, yeah. Picard is a very interesting character, don't get me wrong, but he is outwardly very reserved. And I don't think Patrick Stewart himself as a person is very much like that. Mm. Um, so no, he he's seems actually quite sort of silly. Yeah, he's playing against type. It's a good I sense think. of humour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Although, I mean, from the stories I've heard, I think to the towards the beginning of Next Gen, he was the kind of he was the one taking the job very seriously. You know, he was sort of classically trained. He would sort of turn up and know all his lines and never mess around and so on. And I think it was more like the sort of you know Jonathan Frakes and Brent Spiner and other members of the cast who had to kind of pull him out of his shell a little bit and get him to kind of mess around a bit more. But I think by the time, you know, you got into the sort of heyday of Next Gen, he had kind of um, loosened up a bit uh, and was sort of able to enjoy himself a bit more. Uh, but I think in terms of seeing it on screen, we, do, we don't see as much of Picard kind of letting his hair down on screen as some of the other captains. I mean, if you think of, say, Captain Janeway, you know, we get her doing things like playing Queen Arachnia. We, we get quite sort of um, flamboyant performance occasionally uh, from her in a way that, you know, yeah, we, we see Picard doing his kind of dashing Robin Hood routine. And we see, I suppose we see his Dixon Hill. But the thing about Dixon Hill is he's so uh sort of deeply miscast as Dixon Hill. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And it's sort of like it's it's Captain Picard's uh sort of guilty pleasure uh fantasy life, but it's not remotely convincing. And and Patrick Stewart is very good at uh bad acting in a sense that you, you know, hence that um that meme of him um you know, professing his love to Waxana Troy with the Shakespearean <laughs> sonnets, uh, which is, you, you know, again, from a, a fantastic, classically trained Shakespearean actor, performing bad Shakespeare uh, is something that he is, you know, surprisingly good at, in a way. I think, actually, this is something that you do... So in Tapestry, um, Patrick Stewart has to use um, his acting talents to express different sides of Jean-Luc Picard, which is interesting. Um, different sides of Jean-Luc Picard that we haven't seen before. So like, when he supposedly dies and is taken back into the past by Q to look at his um, his past mistakes, we have to 
see like we see this version of Jean-Luc Picard who's a young impulsive man who um gets into fights in bars who has a sort of um roguish relationship with women who's impulsive who's really like ambitious and energetic but that's kind of different than the than the sort of wiser older Picard that we're used to seeing and then um when it goes forward into this imaginary present um, where he never picked a fight with the Norsicans, um and sort of played it safe throughout his entire career, we see another side of Picard, um, which is this more, I would say, less ambitious, maybe not less ambitious, but a man who um, who settles for less, whose dreams haven't mm. been as big, um, and who is um, less impressive um, uh, in a, in a room, he's, he's not as he hasn't got as much status with his colleagues. You know, he's a mm-hmm. lower rank. He's a science officer. I think he's an ensign. I think um, he's a left lieutenant, lieutenant junior grade. I think yeah. Uh, yeah. So he's like a low lieutenant, so like one up from a from an ensign. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he, and that's kind of a shock to see, like to see the middle aged, mm. you know, like Jean Luc Picard in a like a, a like a lower ranking uniform, acting like a lower ranking member of uh, of the ship and. Um, so it's more of a shyer personality, perhaps more of a quieter personality. Um, mm. So Jean- you get the feeling that like Jean-Luc Picard, the captain, is a mix between these two characters. You know, he's he's the, he's like the ambitious um, leader. He's the um, impulsive and excitable um, sort of young man, but he's also the more reserved, wise, um, perhaps slightly shy. Um, mm. older man um, and I think that, that Patrick Stewart does that really well I was quite shocked that they didn't get the younger actor who plays him like in those few seconds where he gets stabbed they didn't get him to act in the in, in the episode I've forgotten about that and I, they, I realised that they're actually going to they actually got Patrick Stewart to act like his younger self and that right. requires yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. that requires quite a lot of I think acting talent um, and Patrick Stewart pulls it off he does and there's this sort of interesting uh, balance between, yes, as you were saying, him sort of struggling to fit himself back into that younger self and say, you know, when he offends the woman in the bar by saying she looks handsome, he's kind of, you know, he's kind of, he, he's not quite got his his young man's um, uh, way of interacting with people yet. But at the same time, you can see, you can see there's this real sort of dilemma for him because there is this sort of wonderful opportunity to go back and sort of fix things and, and you know, live live your youth again, which is quite uh, appealing, even as much as he doesn't like that person that he was, you know, and he's quite sort of dismissive of the young man that he used to be. But then he's equally even more dismissive of the older man that he becomes in that kind of alternative present. You know, he says this is a man bereft of passion and imagination. He, I mean, he's quite damning... It's interesting because what we, the way we see it, he is put in this situation. It seems very humiliating. It seems really awful. Um, uh, and you know, there's that sort of cringe-inducing scene with Riker and Troy, where he basically is asking them whether he has any chance of of making anything more with his life, and they're, they're basically saying no. You know, you know, don't don't get your hopes up. Um, but interestingly, his response to that is not to say. Um, it, it, it's not to kind of dwell on the fact that he's been kind of imprisoned in this awful uh, in this awful scenario by Q. It's to say that a man is not who I am. That man is, you know, is not me. Um, 
so it's as if he's sort of a, he has kind of got on board with the idea that his whole personality has been changed by living this different life rather than just rather than this idea that he is essentially one person and that his circumstances are kind of swirling around him somehow he he is very much accepting the idea that he is you know is being forced to live as a different person even more so you know in the present than he was in the past i guess i i, I mean when i first watched it i was quite surprised that um that he, I mean, I, I guess I'd forgotten he had this artificial heart. I'm not sure if the artificial mm. heart is ever mentioned in any other context. Um, in the series. It comes from the there's a the second season episode, I think, Samaritan Snare, where he basically tells this story to Wesley uh, because he's going to have um, some kind of surgery on the heart then. And, and so, the, the, so, so this whole episode sort of picks up, in a way, off that bit of dialogue where he describes the circumstances where he lost his heart. So it has come up before, but you're right. It's not something that we're kind of constantly reminded of. It's really a kind of a little dangling thread of continuity that's kind of picked up here. I mean, it's good that they explore it later then. I mean, I, I like it when the when the series actually pays attention to something that it's uh, introduced in episodes or seasons before and then picks up on that and like, develops that plot point. But um, I, I, I guess I'd never really thought of him as like this roguish young man who would... Um, fight off like three Norsicans at once and um, I, I never thought of him as a Lothario either actually to be mm. honest mm. Um, so when I first watched the episode it took a while to adjust to that idea of Picard but this did make me think a little bit like in relation to other stories like It's a Wonderful Life or A Christmas Carol um, although there's that, there's that same kernel of, uh, of you inside you know so essentially <coughs> you know, you're still Duncan at five and you're still Duncan mm. at 14 and you're still Duncan at, you know, 35. Um, you can be quite a different person in childhood um, compared to what you turn out to be as an adult. And mm. this is definitely never more um, extremely expressed as in in A Christmas Carol. Mm. Um, I mean, Scrooge essentially is a very difficult person as a young man, isn't he? He's like... Um, a snob and um, uh, kind of uncaring and he makes bad decisions in his youth which is one of the reasons why he has to be taken back into the past by the ghost of Christmas past Um, yeah but it's because I think it's because he sort of turns away from because he he has a fiance doesn't she his fiance he he has a love interest anyway yeah yeah and there's that quite quite sort of heartbreaking scene really where she's she basically says you've you know you've become more interested in money and business than you are in me and it I don't know I sort of get the sense that you feel that at the very beginning of his life there was a different path for him do you know what I mean there was a kind of a kinder person there and somehow he got you know in this very Dickensian way he got sort of corrupted by by money and commerce and you know the kind of uh expectations of other people and so on and to the extent that he just sort of shut down that whole side of his life um We've been watching in my household. We, we're watching Mary Poppins on constant uh, repeat because it's the, the, you know, that's the film that my son wants to watch literally every day at the moment. And it's the <laughs> same thing. There's a line in Mary Poppins where um, uh, Dick Van Dyke's character says of of the father, Mister Banks, that he's he's in a prison because he's you know he's working for this this bank and it's you know and he's not being very kind to his children and so on. He says prisons come in all shapes and sizes. Some of them are bank shaped, and I think there's that sense with Scrooge that he's just his life has become so single-mindedly focused on this one track of making money to the exclusion of everything else that he's sort of forgotten 
who he could have been. He's sort of forgotten his humanity. And that's really what he, that's sort of what his lesson is, is to go back and, um, you know, he can't re- he, he can't actually go back and change the decisions of the past. He can only change the future as far as he's concerned. You know, he's not given the opportunity to go into uh, alternate scenarios of the present or whatever. Um, although, of course, that does come up. You mentioned It's a Wonderful Life. That really comes from that film, I think, where you get this idea of, well, what would now be like if you had done dif- things differently in the past? But as far as Scrooge is concerned, he, he can only change the future. All he can do is say, right, you know, tomorrow is the first day of the next day. Is the Tomorrow is the first day of the rest of my life. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, and, and basically choose to be someone else uh, kind of going forward. Yeah, I mean, there are <clears throat> subtle differences. Well, there's some big differences between It's a Wonderful Life and A Christmas Carol, and, and also mm. between all of between these two um, stories and also Tapestry. Um, it's a Wonderful Life is a story about a man who has not been able to follow his dreams and fulfill his personal ambitions um, because mm. of the choices that he's made primarily in honouring his duties and his obligations to others. Mm. You know, he actually saves his brother from drowning in childhood, you know, um, and... And that's an interesting point there. Like, it's he, his brother then goes on to save the lives of other people. Um, mm. And so, you know, so he's 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 making decisions um, that aren't necessarily bad decisions. They're actually good decisions, but they just mm. don't lead to um, personal fulfillment in years later. You know, so they're not decisions that are going to guarantee to make him in, happy as an individual, but they are they are good decisions. That's made very clear in the film. Mm. Um, a Christmas Carol is about a man changing his current behavior based on um past bad choices um to prevent future bad choices and future bad events um and tapestry is different um because it's like a mix of the two like picard Mm. has picard has achieved personal ambitions so he's in a good place as being captain um Mm. but his story is more about considering all the different paths he could have taken so i feel like tapestry is like a mix between it's a wonderful life and a Christmas Carol because he hasn't he he has he has fulfilled his personal ambitions you know but he's made bad decisions in the past but that weirdly those bad decisions have ended up being beneficial to his future self whereas mm. it's a wonderful life um, the main character you know is a wonderful wonderful man but as is sometimes often the case with wonderful wonderful people it. You, you know your actions don't always lead to personal happiness if you think about mm. people who go out and seek per- solely personal happiness and seek to fulfill all their personal ambitions um, and become incredibly successful sometimes those people are often alone you know because mm. they've had to step on other people to get there and they've had to sacrifice um, their relationship, relationships with other people and they've had to um, I would say maybe not commit to personal relationships in the same way um, I mean, I'm not against, I'm not against people going out and find, achieving their dreams. Let's just clarify that right now. I do, <laughs> I, I do think everyone should be happy and they should achieve their dreams. And you do have to prioritize yourself sometimes. Um, but in the case of it's a wonderful life, like he or he has a very good life. And yeah. that's the point. It is a wonderful life. He has a loving family. You know, he's respected in his community. Um, you know, he's, he's a good life. He's just taking it for granted and not seeing that it's a good life because... Mm-hmm. He's thinking about all the things that he wanted to do as a young man. He wanted to do as an individual, um, mm. and not realizing that along the way, the sacrifices that he made in 
improved the lives of all the people around him. I do also think as well, It's a Wonderful Life is an important film because it sort of shows that actually no matter what you do, you're probably going to make the right decision for yourself, you know? So mm. I sort of feel like he was going to make all those decisions anyway, you know, because of that, because of the fact that he is a good person. He was going to, he, he was going to sacrifice his own personal desires for his mm. family, for his community. Um, he was never going to let his brother drown, you know? And no, when he goes, sure. yeah, when he goes back and he thinks about it, it, you know, and he finds out the consequences of, of changing his decisions. He's horrified. So, mm-hmm. um, in a way, um, tapestry is a bit like that as well. You know, like Picard was always going to make these decisions. You know, mm-hmm. there was there wasn't really any other way. Whereas the Christmas Carol, there is another way. Yeah. You know, Scrooge didn't have to become Scrooge. He could he could have become a different person. Um, and the great thing about the story is he's given a second chance. So, mm. And the weird thing is, I mean, it, it, on one level, you could say the message of these stories is is almost the opposite because A Christmas Carol is very much saying, you know, Scrooge has made all the wrong decisions in his life and he needs to do something, you know, he needs to change them. He can't change them in the past, but he can at least change them moving forward and become a better person. He can sort of choose to be a better person than he has been living as. I mean... In some ways, the lesson of tapestry is that Picard's desire to have been a better person and, and not have anything in his past that he's ashamed of uh, proves to be a mistake. And he sort of needs to learn to accept the elements of his personality that maybe, you know, that aren't who he is now, but that have have led him towards that point in some ways. On the other hand, you could say the message of these stories is is sort of the same insofar as it is about living for other people. It is about not being too individualistic. I mean, It's a Wonderful Life apparently was on a list of films, uh, you, you know, for, that were um, not exactly blacklisted, that were kind of under suspicion for, you know, communist um, sympathies. And obviously in, in Star Trek as well, we have, you know, this kind of, uh, broadly speaking, kind of socialist utopia. We have these very selfless people, you know, generally speaking, Starfleet captains are expected to sacrifice themselves, are expected to sacrifice their own interests for the benefit of, you know, a larger group of people or of their society or so on. So there is this sort of idea of self-sacrifice um and with george bailey and it's a wonderful life it's i mean yes he sa- obviously he saves his brother everyone would would save their brother but it's it's the sort of other sacrifice it's it's the sacrifices that hurt him so for example he wants to go off traveling or he wants to go off to college uh and he can't because his brother ends up going and fulfilling the dreams and he ends up having to stay and look after the family business which he finds boring and uninteresting but then because of the way he takes care of that business uh, we see he helps all these other people, so he, you know, he ends up doing great good as a result. And I suppose we see that with the Christmas Carol as well. You know, Scrooge at the end, he's uh, giving money to the poor. He, he makes a generous donation to charity. He buys the goose for Bob Cratchit's family's uh, Christmas. He um, gives kind of love and affection to Tiny Tim and to the children and so on. He's kind of, you know, he, he's very much sort of trying to make up for lost time. Of course, what we don't see is, um, you know, how does he then feel? I mean, the ending of A Christmas Carol is, is very redemptive. It's very positive. Um, you know, it's this wonderful transformation. And it's it's always, you know, a very moving story uh, to watch because you do go from seeing this character who is so kind of brittle and cold and sort of cruel um, to becoming a real human being again. Um, 
of course, we don't get to see, you know, how does Scrooge feel five years down the line looking back about the, <laughs> you know, vast majority of his life that he wasted being a truly terrible person. I mean, he has a lot more to regret than Picard does in a way. If Picard thinks he was a terrible young man, uh, but finally he got his act together and, you know, became this kind of respected diplomat or whatever. You know, Scrooge has squandered the vast majority of his life on these these bad decisions and he he sort of doesn't get to go back. Um the other thing that strikes me about these stories is, you know, thinking about this kind of, you know, Scrooge going around to Bob Cratchit's family Christmas dinner or whatever is all good things. And, you know, the final scene of all good things, literally the final scene of the next generation uh, is Picard joining his crew, sort of recognising that they are his family, that they're his friends. You know, and he says, I should have done this a long time ago. And it's that same kind of sense of... He has held himself... He's, he's not been a cruel, mean, nasty person like Mr Scrooge. Uh, he's not been abusive to people. He's not been uh, callous and you know indifferent to their suffering. But he has put up barriers the same way that Scrooge has between himself and sort of the rest of humanity, between himself and the rest of his crew. And finally, he sort of is able to let those barriers down, in a sense, and fully embrace those relationships. I Well, yeah, I mean... He's he's kept a distance from his crew, hasn't he? And he's actually avoided, I, I would say, I mean, in later series, it's not the same, but he's kind of avoided having personal relationships with people that he works with. Mm. Um, and, I mean, these two personalities don't kind of emerge out of a vacuum. Scrooge has a really lonely childhood. And, I, I, I mean, I like to think, and, I mean, I'm not sure the Victorians were so into psychoanalyzing people as mm. much as a modern a modern a modern uh, a viewer or a reader would be um but i like to think that scrooge became who he was like you said because he was um but, but, but you know because he was um corrupted by money but also because of like coming from a place of sorrow you know a place mm. of loneliness becoming more of a, a sort of introverted reserved kind of defensive kind of person um and in tapestry one of the first people that appears to picard after he has supposedly died is his father talking about how disappointed he is and what I was interested in seeing um, this time round when I watched it which I'd forgotten about was how quickly Picard is like stop it stop it right mm. away to Q he doesn't want to see his father and he doesn't want to hear how his father's like disappointed in him um, mm. and in a way, maybe that's one reason why when he comes to Starfleet as a, uh, as he, and he, and he goes to goes to the academy, and he one of the reasons why he actually even goes to Starfleet in the first place. But when he goes to the academy and becomes an officer, maybe that's one reason why he has got a hot temper, or he is more um, just taking more risks as a young man. And it might be later on one of the reasons why he has trouble sort of forming these relationships with children or um, relationships with um, like other people um like mm. friends and, and and members of the sex um so all things is quite a good example of him like you were saying learning to i would say probably be involved in a family and in generations it's very clear that he has like developed and matured beyond that to the point where he actually sees himself as very much part of his nephew's life and then obviously there's that scene which is kind of Christmassy shall we say um, mm. where, um, when he's in the ribbon what's it called? The I Nexus think. The Nexus <laughs> That's. I mean that's just such a nice sort of random Star Trek name isn't it? The Nexus yeah. The Energy Field <laughs> 
Um, one of the things that I really gripe, I really feel like griping about when it comes to tapestry is right at the beginning, all that technical jargon that Dr. Crusher uses to describe the fact that Picard's heart is packing up. You mm. know, and I think you could just say he's dying or he's stopped yeah. breathing or he's having a cardiac arrest, but instead she's like his neurotransmitters. And I'm like, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> like, there's no need for techno, techno babble in this one little scene. But anyway, yeah. Um, yeah. no, so in Generations, it's very clear that he longs for a family. You know, he, yeah. long, he longs for um, to have people close to him that he can be like intimate with and open with, um, which is something that he's, he sort of resists throughout the entire series. And that's one of the things mm. I think about Scrooge as well. He resists mm. having these personal relationships with people. And, um, but neither of them are bad people. Like, Scrooge mm. is not a bad person. If Scrooge was a bad person, the ghost of Christmas future wouldn't have an effect on him. He wouldn't mm. be upset by the idea of Tony, uh, Tiny Tim dying, you mm. know? He wouldn't be upset about the idea of no one like gr- like grieving for him after he's gone. He's a, he's a good person. He's just he's learned to build up this sort of armor around him so that he doesn't have to care about other people, and mm. and he's become corrupted by his ambitions to do with becoming rich. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting you talk about you know generations. I mean, generations is probably I think the only explicit uh, Christmas moment in Star Trek that I can think of. I mean, I think obviously, you know, both Tapestry and uh, All Good Things are, are you know, uh, definitely very much indebted to these Christmassy stories. But I don't think we, I, I can't think of another example where we ever see Christmas kind of explicitly put on the screen as we do there. And Picard's fantasy Christmas is actually, it's a very sort of Victorian Christmas. I mean, if you look at even the outfits that um, people are wearing, they're not wearing, they're not wearing 24th century outfits. It's this, it is very much this weird sort of uh, Dickensian fantasy uh, of Christmas. Almost, It is almost Mr. Scrooge's fantasy Christmas that he might have at the end, uh, you know, thinking, oh, if only I'd married whatever her name was and, uh, you know, and so on. It's the kind of Christmas that, that he would want to have. I think there's a kind of interesting question as well though when you say like what's a you know is he a good person what is a good person and I suppose part of the tension in these stories is how do you define someone as a good person I mean we know that Captain Picard is a good person we know he's very decent we know he's very honorable we know he's uh very self-sacrificing very upstanding he you know he he won't follow bad orders he'll question things um he'll stand up for the right things and so on i suppose there are these questions about like how do you make your mark in the world and for a lot of these men um and it may be significant that they're always male characters that these stories revolve around you know and i mentioned mary poppins same thing again it's the male character who the the the, the idea is that you get you you go down this sort of path in life um it's the same story we see in Paddington, actually, in the, the Paddington movie, uh, you, you know, which, again, has the father who's like a workaholic and, you know, not taking his family seriously enough. You go down this path in life where you focus on one thing to the exclusion of everything else because you think that your self-esteem, your importance, your significance as a person is defined by your uh, sort of public role out in the world you know you're a leader you're a kind of a rich businessman you're this important person uh, you're the captain of the enterprise whatever it is um and you know in in it's a wonderful life you have this story where basically this guy has to realize well yes he never did get to go and travel the world he never did get to go and um i can't remember what he was he wanted to do he he had some career ambition at the beginning that was never fulfilled but at the same time he has influenced all these people in this incredible 
very powerful way. And uh, in A Christmas Carol, Scrooge says of Mr. Fezziwig, who was his, the, the man I think he was an apprentice to, and, and we, we go back into the past to one of his parties. And he says basically, you know, the amount of joy that he brought to other people, uh, you know, he didn't appreciate it at the time because he didn't, you know, maybe he wasn't making as much money as someone else. He didn't see him as such a successful person, but actually he was sort of contributing more. Um, and of course, in Star Trek, there is, you know, we we definitely have that idea as well. On the other hand, we also have this idea that, you know, when Picard isn't the captain of the Enterprise, something is missing. Um, it reminds me a little bit of, um, say, the character of Dorothea Brooke in Middlemarch. Um, I, I don't know if you're familiar with Middlemarch, yeah. but, the, you yeah. know, the section right at the very end, where the, almost the final lines of the book, uh, where George Eliot writes, the, you, you know, she never became anyone known. She wasn't kind of a public figure, but she says the effect of her life on others was incalculably diffuse. And there are all these people who... Um, Last, it's something along the lines of, you know, there are all these people whose lives are much better for those ordinary people who um, whose names have been forgotten and who live in unvisited graves. Something like something along those lines. Basically, the ordinary people who bring good into the world. And I suppose that's that's very much what It's a Wonderful Life is is talking about. And really, it's what A Christmas Carol is sort of saying is that Scrooge should have focused more um, on that. And it's not to say there can't be a balance. I mean, you can be you know, Captain Picard gets to still be captain of the Enterprise and go to the poker game and be friendly with his crew and, and, and not be so cut off as he used to be. You know, it's not necessarily one or the other, but I suppose it's about being wary of focusing on one thing to the exclusion of the other. And I wonder whether one reason these stories are so associated with Christmas is Christmas is the time, you know, for most people where they get the most time off work probably... You know, <laughs> business does stop to a certain extent, even if it's only for a day in Scrooge's time. And it's a day which is, you know, supposed to be about family. You're you're with those that you have these kind of emotional relationships with rather than those you have business or work relationships with. Um, well, actually, the, yeah, I actually have something to say about that. But um, before I do, just to go back about um, to, to referring to Middlemarch, Middlemarch is a good example because... Not only does it have Dorothea, as you said, a character in it who makes a difference to the lives of the people around her, but never achieves her like utopian dream that she that she had, which was to you know create this sort of very mm. equal um, settlement on her husband's land. Um, there's Doctor Lydgate in 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 the book who um, is is a wonderful character and makes um, a great difference to the people in her life, but doesn't actually achieve her ambitious dream of creating like a utopian settlement um on her husband's ex or her dead husband's land um so she doesn't achieve her personal ambition in that sense you know it's never realized mm. um but as well as dorothea there's the character of dr lydgate who is a medical doctor but actually has scientific research ambitions so he really mm. wants to make a difference in terms of like i, I mean scientific um discoveries and development um <laughs> And his ambitions are thwarted by the fact that he marries a young woman who um, is really the wrong partner for him. You know, mm. who he has to—he's then immediately required to financially support, who um, who herself is not wise with money um, and gets them into debt, um, and also who doesn't is not a ma- doesn't match him intellectually, doesn't understand his ambitions, um, is not interested in his ambitions. You know, she's not a bad person, but she's she would have been happier married to somebody else and he would mm. have as well. Um, and in fact, actually, he's much closer to um, 
like a character like Dorothea, you know, his mm. ambitions match somebody more like Dorothea. Um, and he has to marry this woman because he is a young man. He foolishly flirts with her. And mm. there's this possibility of his, he may have, may possibly ruin her reputation and he marries her and he thinks he's in love with her. Um, and it's very clear at the end of the book that he never lived, he never lives up to the potential um, mm. of his earlier, uh, of his earlier brilliance and um, that he is per- probably goes through the rest of his life disappointed um so that's an interesting example a little bit like it's a wonderful life you know he's a faithful husband and he you know uh, sort of i guess saves people's lives as a doctor um but because of because of decisions that he made as a young man the future that he could have had is never going to materialize Mm. When you talk about Christmas and people looking back on Christmas, uh, look, looking back at their past during Christmas, um, it makes me think of that song, Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas, you know, um, which is a sort of a bittersweet song where people, um, which is very famous, and it was originally um, in the movie Meet Me in St. Louis, which was mm-hmm. um, a movie that came out in 1944, I think, but it came out in the 40s. So a musical mm-hmm. starring Judy Garland. Um, and there's also, and when she sings that song, <laughs> she's, she's singing about um, looking back on the past because the whole family may have to meet, uh, meet, may have to leave St. Louis to go live somewhere else. And mm-hmm. um, they're all very upset about this, this idea. And so she's singing about change and she's sort of singing about the Christmas that they have right there and trying to live in the present and not think too much about the past and, and just kind of muddling through. But there is something sort of nostalgic and bittersweet about Christmas. You know, there is this idea that, um, like you said, because you're with your family, maybe you have time to stop and think. But also, it's very close to the new year, you know, and so you naturally think back over the past events uh, of, of the year that you're in and think about what's going to happen in the future, like the decisions that you're going to make in the next year. Um, that does lead you to sort of question, um, you know, what has happened to those people that you used to know, you know, mm. like... Um, the days of yore, you know, like um, the events that happened in the past, decisions you made and, and the people that you knew. Um, so it works really well this time of year with um, stories like It's a Wonderful Life or um, A Christmas Carol or Tapestry. You know, Picard is thinking about his past friends and there's no mm. real clear indication about why he's not friends with these people now, you know. Mm. Um, he, he he talks about how he has years of friendship after the, with, with the, um, with the, his male friend whose name I cannot mm. remember um, after the Norsican fight but he doesn't ex- doesn't explain us where he is in the present so and no, you don't that's an interesting point yeah you don't really see Picard, Picard doesn't have many friends <laughs> I know it's interesting isn't it he, it's true he, he really doesn't um, the original plot I think for Star Trek Insurrection was going to be about one of Picard's old friends um, a plot line that, that sort of got dropped and I think that would have been quite interesting in a way sort of seeing someone that he goes back you know goes back a long way with and maybe who, who knows a different side of him but it's true we don't really ever see you know the things we know about his past are say Jack Crusher who's conveniently dead so he's, he's not around to remember him <laughs> um, you, you know his past seems a long way away somehow he seems very cut off from it um, to some extent, maybe that's true of a lot of the characters, but I think w- with Picard, that's that's particularly so. 
Um, I mean, just thinking about these things, you know, you're saying, you, you know, it being a time of year when you think about these things, you look back over the past. I think that's true. Certainly, you maybe remember previous Christmases. Um, I mean, for anyone who suffered bereavement, for example, it's a very difficult time um, because they're aware of those kind of losses. Um, and I think you're right. Also, that idea of, you know, the new year, New Year's resolutions. I mean, the end of a Christmas carol, Scrooge basically makes the mother of all New Year's resolutions in a sense. Basically, he sort of says, you know, right from Christmas Day onwards, I'm going to be a completely different person. I suppose um, the other thing that maybe is relevant is, you know, Christmas being originally a Christian holiday, uh, it, is, it is a story, it's literally a story of redemption because it's, you know, the birth of the baby Jesus and he's the one who's going to uh, redeem mankind from sin and so on. So I suppose built into it, um, you know, even in these fairly secular stories, maybe that's another reason why we have this idea of kind of redemption and uh, fixing past wrongs and so on. Um, but also, of course, I suppose rebirth, because, you know, going back even further to the sort of pagan origins of, of um, Christmas and so on, I suppose there's an element of you know, this is, we just passed, I mean, uh, you've just passed the winter solstice, you've passed the coldest part of the year, things are moving towards something new, towards the new year, towards the possibility of, you know, spring coming around the corner and so on. So there is this idea of rebirth and renewal um, that I suppose ties into all of these stories, because in all of these stories, the character, you know, has some kind of realisation, has some kind of personal change, uh, rediscovers something about themselves that was lost. And I suppose that's the case, you know, that's the case for Picard. He rediscovers something, he, he learns to accommodate the part of himself that was from his youthful past that he had previously kind of shut off to an extent. George Bailey learns to recognise the value of the fantastic person that he's been for most of his life, um, and that it doesn't mean that he's wasted his life. Uh, Scrooge, you know, learns to realise that there is a better person in there somewhere. Um, and that if he changes his behaviour, I mean, the fact is, very quickly, he's actually able to change the way people feel about him. I mean, to begin with, they they think he's gone mad or something, but it doesn't take long for his good behaviour to completely transform who he is in society, as well as who he is kind of in himself, spiritually. So, you know, all these people, they have this kind of recognition of um bringing the the you know these different parts of their nature together somehow and and helping them to understand themselves better so my question for you would be if you could go back to your past <laughs> as a young duncan <laughs> what would you change would there be anything oh you would God. change <laughs> i'm not sure i'm going to put that on a podcast <laughs> This is one for one of Amy's, uh, you, you know, counselling session uh, uh, podcasts, I think. I, 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 mean, I, do, I do think, I think if I was to go back, I think this is going to sound really, really silly, but I think I would just mm. study harder. Really? I think, yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. I studied really hard when I was in university, but, mm. and I was having a lot of fun. You know, that mm. university is one of the experiences where you have a lot of fun, but you also study. But I mm. think, I mean, that's why I think Tapestry is quite an exciting episode for me, because... Mm. I recognise like the sort of foolish young person that Picard. I mean, I didn't yeah. fight. I didn't fight people. I didn't fight people, and I, I wasn't an authority or anything. But yeah. um, but um, I think I um, spent a lot of time um, at university pretending to be somebody else, um, trying mm-hmm. to like a fit in. And if I could go back now um, as a wiser person, um, I think I would just like study study harder and like. Um, 
maybe go my own way a little bit more. And I think that might lead. But not sure how it would change my present though, because a degree, mm. a degree, a humanities degree is not really useful in much context. <laughs> anyway, there's like thousands of people, probably millions of people that graduate with humanities degrees every year. Um, so I'm not sure it would change the present, but I think it would make me feel more satisfied when looking back um, at my university like mm. my university career my university um, experience um which i loved but i do think academically i could have tried harder right. <laughs> I, had the, I had the potential <laughs> it's interesting i mean i would say that i don't think for me that there's that there isn't one you know big specific incident that stands out that i sort of regret and think oh i wish i'd done that one thing differently i suppose it's you know i can understand that i think yeah also sort of going back to university or going back to you know, when you're a young person. And I think the reason that time in your life is significant, and that's essentially the kind of time that we're seeing Picard go back to, uh, or maybe it's more like his sort of first job, but it's kind of the end of his uh, essentially kind of university period, isn't it? Is that um, I think as we get older, maybe we calm down a bit, we get more, um, you know, maybe you sort of develop more sympathy for other people, I would say. Um, and so it's it's kind of maybe you'd go back, you just might treat other people slightly differently, maybe be a bit kinder, be a bit more, have more time for others. And I think part of that is because when you're a young person and you're going out into the world, you know, it is the time you're moving, you're away from home, you're being yourself. You know, this idea of this kind of radical individualism, uh, th- that is sort of when that is, you, you are yourself. You can, You know, you say you felt you were someone that you were, acting like someone you weren't well you can go in that situation and you can pretend to be whoever you want you know your family aren't around the people who knew you before aren't around it is sort of an opportunity to make yourself in a sense um but that can have negative consequences if people become too self-focused somehow um you know and i think that's one way of looking at what scrooge has gone through really is he's become totally sort of living for himself and you know all about his own um accumulation of of wealth and so on and his own status as a businessman and totally cut off from other people um there's a line in the christmas carol uh, marley's ghost says to him uh, mankind was my business and that's basically his regret is you know he thought he was focused on that business was all about money or whatever but you know really um he's saying you know the the proper sphere of my uh dealings uh, with the the universe should be with other human beings essentially and and that kind of um i suppose maybe that is something that comes as you get older the sort of recognition of the way that you relate to other people and the kind of relationships that you want to have. And there doesn't have to be some great, you know, it doesn't have to be one great big regret where you think, oh, if only I'd turn left instead of right or whatever, or I'd made a different decision. Um, obviously, if you, you know, if something catastrophic happens as a result of the decision you make, like you lose your heart or, you, you know, something really terrible happens, you are going to regret that. But um, I think in in more commonly in people's lives, there are just sort of, you know, more general regrets about, you know, well, maybe if, you know, if I went back now, I'd behave slightly differently in those situations. It's that kind of, uh, but you can't do that. And I guess that's what Picard is, is learning really is it doesn't work. You can't go back and be the person you are now um, in your past. You know, there's no, there's no going back to that. Well, I think the standard thing that human beings do is they like regret the past and fear the future, neither mm. of which are in any way useful um, mm. to dealing with how you're living in the present. Um, I mean, there's definitely no point in fearing the future because you don't know what the future's going to be. And mm. all the amount of, like, any amount of worrying or, f- like, um, thinking about or being fearful about something that happens, uh, especially if it's going to be something bad, 
like doesn't prepare you for the devastation of that bad thing happening so you mm. know if you worry about um ca- getting a serious illness you're still going to be just as devastated with the same when you get the serious illness um mm. and all the worrying wouldn't have prepared you any made you any more like mm. strong in order to deal with it but also regretting the past i mean like you said <laughs> it's the past there's nothing you can do about it. you can't go back and change it unless you've got some sort of time travel device and even yeah. then <laughs> i wonder how many people would go back and change things um I think in the case of Picard, which is in the case of the situation with me, was the um, the mistake. You might possibly make more and more mistakes or what you view as mistakes when you're a, a, a newly formed adult, when you're a young adult. Um, mm. uh, it's, awful, it's, awful, it's a lot easier to forgive things in childhood. Um, mm. Children have a different, um, like, I mean, they're, they're at a different developmental stage. Um, so there's very few stories where people go back and regret things in childhood. I know that George does sort of regret losing his hearing through saving his brother. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, he probably would have done that anyway. So sure. um, and it's, it's, his childhood isn't something he massively regrets. It's decisions that he makes as a young adult, a young man. Um, and I think that there's a reason for that. And I think it's because when you become a young adult, you're suddenly faced with a whole bunch of decisions that actually could have far-reaching consequences. When you're a child, the decisions that you make, well, any decisions that have far-reaching consequences are made by your parents. Mm. Um, and, and any decisions that you make are likely not to affect the rest of your life. I mean, mm. I know we all feel like we, when we chose our GCSEs and A-levels, it was going to affect the rest of our life. But no one looks at your GCSEs. <laughs> so that mm. doesn't matter. But... Um, and you know you don't choose which school you go to ultimately in most cases it's chosen you know your parents choose which school you go to and all that sort of stuff um but when you become an adult you know especially when you go off to university or to starfleet or in the case of scrooge i suppose you leave home to start your own business or whatever or go into become an becomes an apprentice doesn't it you become an apprentice Mm. um you're suddenly forced you're still very young but you're suddenly forced with decisions that 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 will have that the outcome may possibly affect things mm. for years to come. And young adults, I mean, your brains aren't fully developed until like, I think until at least your early 20s. So right. the decisions that you're making at 18 or 19 or 20 or 21, um, you might still have a, a certain level of like childishness, if you see what I'm saying, but mm. you're being, you're being, you're, you're being, Sometimes, in some cases, in very desperate situations, you're being forced to make decisions that um, you could probably make better decisions if, if you were older and you're more of a wiser adult. Um, and I, I've always thought in Star Trek that they that Starfleet officers have to grow up very young, very quickly. Mm. Um, I mean, if you think about Spock, I mean, they think this implies that Spock leaves home at 17 and goes right, into Starfleet yeah. and then like, basically never sees his parents um i mean definitely he's estranged from his father right doesn't speak to his father for however like the next 15 years or something um and mm-hmm. it's implied in in tapestry picard leaves his family and you know is um that's one reason why you, you know your roommates or your friends become very you become very close with the people that in, in the academy because you're not surrounded by um family or your parents or whatever so i've 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 often thought that they have to grow up very young and they're put in situations which are quite serious, dangerous situations and they've got to make decisions, like very important decisions. And some of them are only like, you know, 19, 20, 
Mm. Anything about Nog? Nog when Nog goes into um, the Starfleet Academy, he's he's still very young. Mm. Um, so in a way, looking back, Starfleet officers looking back on the decisions that they made early in their careers actually makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Well, and also, I mean, you know, we people learn from mistakes. So, you know, until you start making mistakes, you're not going to have anything to learn from in a way. I mean, that's that's one way that you become the person that you are later on is by doing something and realising it had a, a negative consequence and maybe thinking, OK, I'm not going to do that again. So there's an element of like, um, you, you can't take that element of sort of causality out of it. And I suppose that's sort of what some of these... Uh, elaborate kind of fantasies try to do is sort of get around the the rule. I mean, the basic fact is, you know, time goes in one direction and one thing leads to another and so on. Um, and I think it's kind of interesting, you know, I mean, you were saying it's, it's bad to, you know, to, to dwell too much on either the past or the future, to regret the past or to obsess about, uh, you, you know, anxieties about the future. And, and, you know, really the thing is to try and kind of live in the present. Um, I mean, of course, that's what, on one level, that's that's the only thing we... The reason it's important is that's the only thing we can do in the real world, the only thing we can do. With these kind of science fictional uh, scenarios, we can go back into the past, we can go into the future, we can get glimpses of these things. Um, I mean, I think it's interesting. A Christmas Carol, in some ways, is, you know, very much could be a Star Trek episode. It's got this kind of uh, otherworldly, fantastical element with these ghosts and things. You know, it's got this kind of... Um, a very clear moral it's got quite a kind of a, a, a structure to it it's got character development it's got you know it's got all the sort of things that we'd look for in a really uh, good star trek episode it is basically on one level you could say it is almost science fiction um one it's a wonderful life definitely i would say is science fiction though most people probably wouldn't think of it like that i mean you know the, the point where he ends up going to in effect a parallel universe um, and, and seeing this whole scenario and how everything would be, you know, it's very mu- much reminiscent of these sort of um, kind of sci-fi. It could almost be an episode of The Twilight Zone by that point, that film. Um, although we think of it as this sort of cosy, very mainstream uh, sort of, you, you know, family um, Christmassy drama. It, it, you know, these things, they definitely, they they rely to some extent on these kind of sci-fi ideas. Um and it's kind of interesting what we see in It's a Wonderful Life and in Tapestry is basically the same thing that the 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 idea of someone who grants this magical wish. So in It's a Wonderful Life, it's this angel, uh, Clarence, um, who interestingly is he's not kind of um, sort of uh, Machiavellian the way that, that Q is, but he's quite funny the way that Q is. He's also a comedy character in the way that Q is a comedy character. And basically he grants um, George Bailey this wish to, he, he says, you know, I wish I'd never existed. And he says, well, okay, I'll grant you your wish. Um, and that's, that's what happens is he sees the world as it would have been if he hadn't been there to make his own, you know, small, generally speaking, invisible mark on it. Um, you know, Picard is granted a wish by Q to go back and change things, to change the scenario so that, you know, life would be different and he doesn't die in this accident. And in both cases, those characters end up basically saying, take me back, take me back, I don't want it. Uh, you know, I wished for this thing and then when I've seen what it really means, I can't bear it. Um, and, you, you know, I'm willing to accept... I suppose, really, I'm willing to accept the con- the compromise and the consequences of the-, the extent to which things didn't work out how I imagined they would or how I dreamed that they would. Um, y- you know, to be satisfied with the past and with with the present and with you know with where I've come to in my life and sort of recognise that the only things I can change 
are going forward. Um, but the other thing we see is that in all good things, it's kind of interesting. We think of all good things as, you know, in some ways it's it's very much a Christmas Carol story structurally. I mean, the, the thing that's missing from Tapestry is there's no yet to come. There's there's no, uh, we only get as far as the present. We don't see the future in the way that Scrooge sees the future. Um, by the time we get to all good things, they've taken that structure and literally split it into these three, you know, these, these three storylines in the past, the present and the future. Um, and we certainly see Picard in that episode as this kind of Scrooge character. I mean, even the very first scene, he's wandering around in his night clothes, like Scrooge is wandering around in his night clothes. He's asking, what day is it? What day is it? Which is the question that Scrooge asks when he wakes up from his uh, experience with the ghosts. Um, but actually, by the time you get to the end of All Good Things... Picard is not just the Scrooge character. Picard is the is the character of the you know of the ghosts because he's the one who goes to to who talks to his friends and they say in that final scene you know why do you think he told us everything that he saw um, and they basically realise that he's trying to get them to realise the the path that they could go down you know um, Worf and Riker for example could end up you know not speaking for years they could they, these friendships that are so important could be destroyed in a way if they make the wrong decisions. Um, so there's that kind of idea. I think we tend to sort of maybe because that future timeline sort of doesn't come to pass as far as we know, we tend to sort of imagine it gets wiped out of existence. But at the same time, there is something there, you know, there is something there for those characters to learn from just as much as there was something for Picard to learn from going back into his past in tapestry. Well, there's this, the decisions are all still yet to be made, aren't they? So the decisions mm. still have to be made. I mean, Worf and Riker still have to decide to not um, become estranged over over Councillor Troy. So they, although he, he it's, it's not like um, very often in Star Trek, you know, there's like an alternative time timeline and then it gets wiped out through some, like I'm thinking of a year of hell <laughs> where mm. Janeway just wipes out the present by um, smashing into that time ship or whatever it is. But um, it, 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 the, the, this alternative timeline isn't wiped out. It's It's just that they're going to make better decisions based on the fact that they've been informed by Picard, I would assume. Um, mm. But then in a way that's almost cheating because mm. like, <laughs> I guess, I guess that is a bit like Scrooge though in Christmas Carol. Like he's going to make better decisions based on the fact that he's got the information from the ghosts, but it, 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 it is a little bit, a little bit like cheating because I think the whole point of um, some of these stories is to, um, to appreciate what you have now and to appreciate where you've come, where you've come to, like you said, like where mm. you arrived at, um, to not necessarily, and, and then to go forward into the future with that knowledge, but not necessarily to like completely change who you are and completely, completely make complete, make completely new decisions. And I guess mm. the Christmas Carol is slightly different in that respect because of the fact that Scrooge has made so many bad decisions. Whereas, like I said, in tapestry and it's a wonderful life, they're slightly more similar. I um, mean, like, George made bad decisions, Picard's made bad decisions, but they've also made really good decisions as well. And actually where they are right now in the present, like George, you know, in his town with his family and Picard as captain of the Enterprise is where they're supposed to be. Mm. Scrooge is not where he's supposed to be. Scrooge is, you know, definitely not where he's supposed to be. And you think by yeah. the end of by the end of it, he ends up where he's supposed to be, which is like part of a part of a family and, you know, being a better person and caring for those people around them. Um, so it is slightly different like we're talking about two slightly different things we're talking about things in the past that you might perceive as mistakes but have meant mm. that you have ended up where you're supposed to be 
and um, things in the past that were definitely mistakes that you've basically continued doing throughout your life, which means that you've yeah. ended up in this sort of awful present where you're going to, and also a possibly potentially terrible future. Um, but one of the things I wanted to ask you and I wanted to sort of just touch on was um, why is there so few Star Trek story, uh, sorry, Christmas stories in Star Trek? Why are there so few Christmas stories in Star Trek? Um, I understand that Gene Roddenberry didn't want... Um, Starfleet officers to to be thinking about religion or to be um, uh, I guess uh, Christians or any any type of religion to be praying to God or anything so maybe mm. that's why there's no religious holidays but, but Christmas is such a cultural holiday now aside from just the religious elements of it um, that, that it, seems, it seems strange to me that the Christmas would not be more celebrated especially mm. by like the human population in space when you're so far from home and the the days and the hours are measured in a completely different way time-wise and there aren't any seasons, um, I would imagine that Christmas would be something that people would hold on to and would want yeah. to, to, to celebrate. I would have thought so. And, you know, we certainly we see other cultures, you know, the Bajorans having all their festivals and so on. I mean, I think it is definitely to do with this kind of the secularisation of of sort of human culture in Star Trek. And I don't know whether part of it is... I mean, I think even today, I mean, you know, a lot of people celebrate Christmas as a as a purely secular holiday. I know there are sort of tensions around that, particularly, say, in the United States. I mean, I don't think we have this over here, but there's this sort of... There seems to be this contention about do you say Merry Christmas to someone or do you say Happy Holidays or whatever? I mean, like, to me, that slightly goes over my head, but I'm kind of aware that there is a kind of anxiety about... Are we representing this as a, a religious holiday? Are we representing it as just a, a family holiday? You know, sort of what does it mean? So it may be that there's that kind of anxiety of that it sort of opens a can of worms on some level to um, show Christmas in Star Trek. I don't know. I, I find it strange. I mean, we do get Thanksgiving mentioned in the original series, I think. Um, we, you know, and I'm, I'm trying to think. I mean, it, it may be also that there's a kind of hesitancy in Star Trek to pin down dates until more recently i mean enterprise obviously used kind of real world dates um in discovery we get a real world date in the first episode but you know for a long time next gen ds9 voyager and so on it was all star dates and it was all you know trying to sort of detach star trek time from real world time to a certain extent and maybe um something like christmas it it, it ties us too much into the kind of the time of the year i mean we were talking before we started recording because um, I've recently been watching a lot of X-Files and in the X-Files they always have a Christmas episode every year and it always, you, you, you know, it means that when you watch it now you know, okay, so that one came out. It's kind of obvious where, where the, the episode came out at Christmas because they're kind of, uh, it's as if they feel like they can't not make reference to it. Um, and it is a big defining sort of period of every year for us, I think. I mean, I find in, say, in the books that I write, I mean, I've just finished writing this book about um, the Second World War in the Channel Islands. And in terms of structuring that chronologically, uh, you can't avoid mentioning each Christmas. And, you, you know, over a five-year period, there might be like six Christmases. And it can be repetitive to keep saying, oh, it's Christmas again. And you kind of are aware, like, well, how many chapters ago was it Christmas before? And you don't want it to seem like time... You, you don't want to sort of affect the pacing, but at the same time, 
it would be weird sort of not to acknowledge that because if you're acknowledging that one year leads into another uh and especially as it, you know in my writing i'm quite interested in sort of ordinary domestic life and how people uh you, you know what they ate for christmas dinner and that sort of thing you sort of can't get away from that element of the cyclical um nature of our lives and i think christmas is the is a big uh sort of pivot for that in a way I just think that for all the reasons that we've mentioned in this podcast so far, um, you know, looking back on the past, examining your life, thinking about the future, uh, spending time with friends and family, um, thinking about how you treat your fellow human beings. um, I actually just honestly think that Christmas would be something that people would celebrate in the future, regardless of their religious beliefs. Um, And if it wasn't Christmas, it'd be some other kind of winter festival. um, Mm. Uh, there are winter festivals throughout the world um not all of them are christian um uh, it, winter is a big deal for human beings it's a time where in some in some countries it's a time where you know you there's nothing to grow you can't mm. eat you know there's nothing to eat um traditionally um there's a time so in some in some cultures it's a time where there's like daylight all day long and some cultures there's a time where there's darkness all day long um mm. it's 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 a season especially midwinter it's a season where um people draw together um, and spend time together uh, whether that was originally for <laughs> survival or whether it's because <laughs> you know it's a cold dark period um, and they want some comfort I just think where else like is colder and darker than space you know um, yeah. and one of the things that we always see in Star Trek is people who love being in space. And I imagine mm-hmm. that's because, you know, it's in the name. It's people trekking through the stars. It's not people who are inadvertently on a ship and don't really want to be there. Um, and in, in Discovery, we saw a little bit of that. Um, people having sort of mixed feelings about being in space and thinking about Lieutenant Stamets, who mm-hmm. is kind of implied he didn't really ever want to do his research on a spaceship but he was kind Mm. of recruited because of the war and then also harry mudd who's like represents a federation citizen who maybe doesn't necessarily like starfleet that much um (laughs) but in most cases we never see people really who i guess you could think about maybe benjamin sisko's father but we never see people who don't want to leave the planet who don't Mm -hmm. want to go out into space who don't want to give up their seasons who don't want to give up their um like give up nature you don't want to live in these cold contained vehicles that travel like you know at the speed of light um so i guess it's conceivable that these people who love being in space wouldn't necessarily mind not enjoying the seasons wouldn't necessarily mind um not celebrating the sort of traditional festivals of their home planets but there just seems something unrealistic to me about the Mm. lack the lack of um, the lack of festivals and the lack of um, like the lack of birthdays and stuff like that, the lack of Christmas uh, I just think that especially when it comes to the human population in space, maybe not so much like the Vulcans or I don't know some other kind of um, species um, but especially I with the know, hum- I, I want to see a Christmas special set on Andoria <laughs> That would be a good one. <laughs> or a repente. <laughs> they could like <laughs> how, they could, do they, how do they celebrate down in those mines? They could like decorate their antennae. Maybe a repente is that could be where Santa's workshop is, you know, you've got all those, <laughs> those labourers there they're they're working away down there. Chipping out coal to give to nasty yeah. children. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
But I just think it's, it's it, with the human population especially, I think they would celebrate things more. Um, mm. And you do see, in other science fiction series, you do see people celebrating these things. Um, mm-hmm. Despite the fact that they're, you know, millions of light years from home and they are living in a very strange, different environment. Um, mm. But, you know, we're not naturally supposed to be in space. So they don't really address that as much in Star Trek as you think they would be. They would. Uh, people seem to be absolutely delighted to be in space. And it, of course it's fun. And of course we all would like to give it a go, but they're spending vast amounts of their time, long years of their lives in space. Um, and in Voyager, you get a little bit of the psychological like implications of that. Don't you? When they go through that period of just black space and there's nothing and they have to sort of deal with not seeing the stars and that kind of thing. But in most cases, people seem to be delighted to be there. Um, and with such a huge um, human community in the Federation, out on planets and, uh, and on ships and on star bases, I can't help but feel that that they would keep hold of some of their traditions and their festivals because they'd want to keep hold of their humanity. Yeah, we definitely see some birthdays. Well, look, uh, Captain Kirk gets uh, a nice present for his birthday, doesn't he? <laughs> oh, that's true. Oh, my God, you're right. He does get something, yeah. And he gets in trouble for treating it like a funeral. So definitely there's an expectation that a birthday is... And I think, doesn't Tuvok get a birthday cake in Voyager? Yeah, that's true. I think. That's true. So, yeah, yeah. No, birthdays, definitely they do. They do recognise. But um, they are obviously familiar with Christmas because it just occurs to me the other uh, Christmas reference uh, in Star Trek, which I hadn't thought of before, is... Um, in the Q episode, I think it's in the Q and the Grey, doesn't Voyager end up as a Christmas decoration on a tree? I think the female Q shrinks them to the size of a Christmas decoration, which is, I think it's, it's like a sort of in-joke because, you know, a lot of people have their Star Trek Christmas decorations, which they hang on their trees now. Um, and I think that, that, that that's kind of what happens to the ship in that episode. I have it's never, true, broadly I, I speaking... Yeah, I Sorry, can't. Uh, no, I just I can't remember that scene, but I will definitely dig that up because I think that would be really worth seeing. <laughs> well, maybe I've been, uh, you, you know, drinking too much of the, of the, um, you know, Christmas uh, specials, and I'm, I'm imagining this. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. The Ferengis have a good line in eggnog, but um, <laughs> but yeah, no, it's true. I think broadly speaking, it is something that is kind of. Uh, noticeably absent in the way that other elements of, 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 you know, real life, human life are occasionally somewhat absent from Star Trek. Um, I I suppose what it's worth thinking about maybe with these stories, because they are very much, um, the reason I said before, you know, they are very much kind of Star Trek-y stories is there is always a message. There is always a kind of moral uh, to be taken from them. And I guess, although some of them, they focus on changing the present, some of them, they look to the past, some of them, they look to the future and so on. I guess maybe what we could pull out of them, I would say, is that, you know, and there's a reason that this happens at this time of the year when you're, you know, you're right on the point between one year and another, really. You're looking back over the past year, you're looking forward to the future and your resolutions and your intentions for the the future year. And it sort of seems like the message is really... um, twofold it's part of it is the message that we get from tapestry accepting the past accepting that things haven't gone the way that you hope they would go you know the same message in a wonderful life accepting that yes your life didn't work out the way you expected but that doesn't mean that it's a failure or that you you know you you shouldn't have lived it um but then recognizing also that the future is something that you have some 
control over, something that you can change. And, you know, that's what uh, Scrooge realises, is that he can change his behaviour, he can change his own future. And I suppose that's what happens in All Good Things as well, is that Picard says... um, you, you know, he, he tells his crew what he's seen in the future and presumably he takes on board for himself what he's seen on the f- in the future in terms of the person that he's become uh, out of a belief that it's possible to change those things. And he says, you know, he doesn't see it as, um, you know, corrupting the timeline or whatever, all these sort of things that you might expect from a science fiction perspective that it, it would be wrong to kind of interfere like that. He has this idea the future is not set in stone. You know, this is a possible future that he's seen. Um, and the same conversation happens in A Christmas Carol between Scrooge and the ghost of uh, Christmas yet to come, where he's, he says something like, are these are these shadows of things that will be or things that may be only? Um, and that's really the key point, is that, you know, in this looking to the future, even in this sort of sci-fi uh, fantastical scenario where you can go to the future where you can visit the future the future is not set in stone it's not a you know it's not an instance of fate that we're just kind of going along with no power you know these are a sort of probable futures based on where things are at the moment and I suppose that's the key recognition is that you know you can make a new year's resolution to do something differently you can choose to be a different person you can uh you know behave differently than you have been behaving and and things will change around you as a result. And that, I suppose, is quite a sort of, um, you know, very redemptive, but also quite uh, optimistic message. I guess it, it, it's like you were saying earlier, it's, 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 it's the message of being able to be redeemed, which is all about what Christmas is all about, I suppose. Like, mm. ultimately, humanity will be redeemed um, for the birth of Jesus. And, and in the same way, like, Scrooge will be redeemed, well... <laughs> <laughs> through through basically amending his actions and his behaviour and being a better person. It's this idea that, um, yeah, like it's never too late to change the future. Um, and each Christmas and each New Year is like a chance to do something different um, and to change up the mistakes of the past and to um, or to reflect on the decisions that you made in the past and to not regret them. Um, mm. And so hopefully, like, going into the going into the future um without fearing it and looking back without regretting the past um which i think is probably the best way to approach a new year's and probably the best way to approach a christmas um and certainly something that you'd hope in the future is what scrooge is going to happen with scrooge like you said 10 years down the line you hope scrooge is going to be living a better life um Mm. and because he's lived a better life for all that time, he won't be regretting the past. Um, And and he won't be worrying about tiny Tim, you know, um, kicking the bucket. (laughs) (laughs) And and like with George Bailey, like it does, I mean, George isn't, isn't going to just live life like he always has. He's going to appreciate his friends and family more. He's going to appreciate his life more, which Mm. means he's probably going to go out ahead and live a better future. Um, And Picard's going to, hopefully inject a little bit more like excitement and devil may care into his his daily routine you know join the join the poker game and spend more this time is with where, his friends this is where we end up in star trek nemesis with him driving that stupid car around in the desert <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, maybe it wasn't such a great idea in the first place <laughs> yeah like or, or isn't it in the first contact where he sort of becomes is he becomes sleeveless i think and then he's like yeah yeah and he's like shooting a giant gun and Destroying yeah, yeah, all his little yeah. ships. And <laughs> yeah. 
action movie Picard. Yeah. 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 Well. Yeah. Oh well. Can go too far either way. <laughs> and in Nemesis as well, he has that kind of line about um, how you know he used to be a re- more reckless person, and so when he rams the ship at the end, there's this kind of idea. This is Picard, kind of um, getting in touch with his sort of more wild youth in a sense and not being the sensible um, measured thoughtful diplomat and so on so you know I, I don't guess know. maybe it's a question of, of, of sort of balance and uh, yeah. you know integrating those things I guess the danger is when you're a cadet or when you're a firstly like first like newly minted lieutenant or whatever um, the decisions the dare- daredevil's decisions you make I guess could affect some people around you but Mm. They're not going to affect a shipload of people. I mean, mm. he, he, uh, later in life, I think it's good that Picard's more measured because <laughs> he's got a whole <laughs> starship full of people to yeah. take care of. Um, yeah. I yeah. wouldn't want to live on the Enterprise if it was captained by Ensign Picard, I don't think. No. That would oh, be a well, I mean, prospect. that's just sort of a little bit essentially of what Captain Kirk is a little bit like. I yeah. Mean, yeah, 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 yeah. I often think that if you were living on um, a starship, the uh, living, living on... Kirk's Enterprise, your life would be in more peril, especially if you're dressed in red, than um, if you were living on Picard's Enterprise. Mm. Although, strangely, I think Captain Archer went for two whole seasons without getting anyone killed. So, you know, <laughs> maybe there's an element of, uh, of kind of luck in there. But yeah. Um, well, talking about looking back over the past year and looking forward to the future and, and what's to come, we actually have an announcement to make. Um, which is, uh, it's been fun doing uh, Primitive Culture. Tony and I have been doing it now for about half a year, uh, up until this point, I think. Um, And it's been great doing it with the two of us. But we actually thought maybe uh, we would benefit from an extra voice. So looking forward to 2018... Clara, we've actually asked if you would come on board as a regular co-host and and join us on this voyage of ours, haven't we? And we're delighted to say that you've agreed to come on board. So um, I'd just like to welcome you really officially uh, as no longer a a sort of guest star. You you can be the the Shran of the season five of Enterprise (laughs) that that never came to be (laughs) and get uh, regular billing uh, alongside me and Tony. So um, we're excited to to see where that takes us um, going into 2018 yeah no, I'm absolutely delighted I'm really really excited to like work with you guys and to like delve even deeper into all the sort of subjects that we've been thinking about so in future episodes it should be fun definitely um and you know as to the kind of topics we'll be discussing we've got a long list of ideas already i know clara you've probably got some ideas um to bring to the table as well but we're also always happy to hear from listeners if they have suggestions for topics that they think um that it would be interesting for us to cover um and you know we look forward to everything the next year holds and uh, all the great interesting um podcasting topics that we can delve into um but in the meantime, Clara, um, if anyone listening wants to uh, get in touch with you, wants to find out what you've been up to, um, what's the best way for them to find you online? Um, so you can find me online on the Babel Conference on Facebook, which is the um, group that um, Trek FM listeners um, can chat on and um, and um, discuss Star Trek. Um, you can also find me on Twitter um, at Clara Jean MC. Um, and so if you have any um, ideas about, um, you know, possible Christmas Star Trek stories that you would have liked to have seen included in the franchise, you can tweet me and let me know. 
If anyone fancies writing any fanfic, Christmas Christmas related <laughs> fanfic, we'd we'd love to read it. <laughs> but in the meantime, uh, all that remains to be said really is um, Merry Christmas to you, Clara, and Merry Christmas to all our listeners, or Happy Holidays as you prefer. Um, and we'll be back in 2018 for more investigation of our history, our culture, and how Star Trek relates to it. But in the meantime, um, Scrooge and George Bailey and redemption and regrets from the past aren't the only thing that we've been talking about on Trek FM this week. Uh, So here's a listen to some of the other things you might have missed out on on the network. Previously on Trek.FM, The Edge, a Star Trek Discovery podcast. Even with the animated show, I know it was Gene Roddenberry's wish that the animated show not be considered canon, but so much of what we know about Star Trek comes from the animated show, what, what Kirk's, you know, the name is and what, um, you know, to hear Tiberius, I think, for the first time is in the animated show, if I'm not mistaken. The Orb. But also, Rom, in the end, obviously, kind of has a heart of gold. You know, he's a guy who just wants to take care of people. He really likes people. And that's kind of who Lita is, too. And so they're really kind of kindred spirits. To the journey! <laughs> And Chakotay looks amazing in his fatigues. He does. Hands down. He does. Everyone likes a man in uniform. (laughs) Unless it's a Nazi uniform, then no. Or a woman in uniform. (laughs) Yes. We're an Equal Opportunities podcast. Earl Grey. So uh, this goes, uh, I chose from Justice. It's a Wesley moment. It's a Wesley moment. (laughs) (laughs) I knew I was gonna get. I was gonna catch flack for that. <laughs> uh, no, it's not a Wesley moment. <laughs> I was actually uh, thinking about doing that, but yeah, no. Uh, <laughs> and that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out all of these shows and join in the conversation about your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, be sure to hit the subscribe button in Apple Podcasts on iPhone, iPad, or Apple TV, or the desktop iTunes app to get the latest episodes as soon as they are published. And please do leave us a star rating and a written review at the same time. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Google Play Music, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and in most third-party apps, and you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website or grab the RSS link. If you'd also like to help us keep all our shows coming to you each week, you can become a patron of the network on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash trekfm, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm to get all the details. Perks include early access to episodes, exclusive content, producer credits, and more, available through our special patrons website, The Patron Zone. It requires a great deal of money to produce, host, and distribute these shows each month, so we really appreciate any support you can give us, and we hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. Duncan and I would love to hear your thoughts on today's show, and there are many ways for you to get involved and do just that. The best place to join in the large conversation is the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type Babel, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook, and it should come right up. If you'd like to send us an email, you can use the form on our website at trek.fm slash contact. You can also find the network on Twitter at trek.fm and on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm. You can find Duncan and I on the Babel Conference as well, and you can find us both on Twitter, 
Duncan at Barrett's Books and myself, Tony, at Black Hole Media. And you can also find me hosting my own podcast, the Xcast and X-Files podcast, if you type that into Twitter and Facebook. So thanks everyone for listening to this episode of Primitive Culture. We'll be back soon to discuss more history, culture and how Star Trek relates to it. Blended all right. Oh, the weather outside is frightful, but the fire is so delightful. And since we've no place to go, make it so. Make it so. Make it so. Man, it doesn't show signs of stopping. And I brought me some tea, Grey Hot. The lights are turned way down low. Make it so. Make it so. Make it so. When we finally kiss. Good night. How I hate going out in the storm. But if you really shut up, Wesley. All the way home, I'll be warm. Oh, the fire is slowly dying. We're still goodbye, Ben. But as long as you love me so, make it so. Make it so. Make it so.